This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs. Now let's get into today's show. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Detection at Scale podcast. Today, I'm here with Gilbert Martin, who's the head of cloud security at OutSystems. Gilbert, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Could you start by just giving us a little bit of an intro on your background in security, how you get started? Yeah, sure. So I currently head up uh, cloud security at OutSystems. It's been a long journey. I got started back in the days when uh, Sun Microsystems was around and was doing a lot of compute, uh, sysadmin, automation type of work. And then as the technology evolved, we, you know, cloud grew and I got into cloud and my job security was always a part of it. So that's how I got into security, especially now with everything in the cloud, security in the cloud and security of the cloud is super, super critical, which then led us to security of our supply chain, right? And how we deliver software with quality and security in mind. That's actually really similar to the way that I actually got into security too. So I started with automation and sysadmin work, and then I transitioned into tooling, monitoring, things like that. What specifically were you doing in sysadmin and automation that was relevant for security at the time? A lot of it was Back in the day, you know, was the, the whole concept of NIS and IS and DNS and, and all that. And it was, uh, it was securing, you know, those types of systems. And then eventually when we got into the data center, it was securing access and securing access to storage. And the concept of a lot of storage came in mind, which I, I'm forgetting the term right now, but, you know, that whole concept came up and then the cloud got introduced and the cloud was the procuring of hardware completely went away and the the ability for a developer or, or a system engineer or, or a sysadmin being able to spin up resources was direct now was a direct line and it was just super easy for anybody to expose anything to the public so that's kind of how i got into it and at the time what was the cloud environment you were working with was it like an open stack was it a aws like what was it yeah, it was all AWS and a lot of companies were having um, a lot of trouble with just a lot of public access, opening of S3 buckets or opening of SSH or a database being way, roles being way wide open and uh, applications just not being scanned from a security capability. In addition to like other things that companies were struggling with on auto scaling, you know, for taking in all the traffic that they were we're bringing in from all these, you know, from an e-commerce perspective, I'll call it. So how did that experience of working on infrastructure and doing sysadmin work lead to where you are today? So interesting enough, when I was at Adobe, there was a, a few gentlemen that I worked with created a company called Evident.io. But before they created Evident at Adobe, they had implemented that system of checking a bunch of things that were checked manually, right? Like things that I already mentioned, S- open S3 buckets, uh, SSH access, keys, and the continuous monitoring of that system. So that was one of the areas. 
in addition to um, just the host intrusion detection and the you know hardening of operating systems, all of that definitely was a manual process, and there wasn't you know declarative type programming yet, right? There wasn't a Terraform back then. There wasn't a lot of configuration management systems. So security was really hard to do back then, right? Or it wasn't hard. It was different, I'll call it, right? No, it was hard. It was hard. <laughs> it was hard, yeah. So it took it took a lot longer too. So all of these things have now evolved, right? And companies like Terraform, technologies like Packer, and you know, it's made it a lot easier for us to help with the security and help maintain the speed with cloud, right? And that's kind of how I came about. So for those listening who are maybe unfamiliar with Packer and Terraform, can you explain how using tools like that can help promote strong security practices, especially for cloud and infrastructure security? Yeah, for sure. So with HashiCorp, you know, Packer, not that I'm advertising any products here, but... It's open source. <laughs> it's open source, right? And, and it yeah. gives us the ability to automate for example, what I call the build image, right? And in the build image, it gives you the ability to create a developer-first approach or a pipeline-first approach into building a secure, robust image and then distributing that image or providing that as a vehicle for developers to consume and automatically deploy software secure you know, with a hardened image. So something like Packer gives you that ability to automate frequently as opposed to creating a, what the industry calls a gold image and create templates and manage those templates. The technology now available is more immutable and it allows you to be updated. And from a people perspective, it also gives you the ability to retrain and always have that same repeatable or immutable process. Yeah. I mean, there was a shift that happened probably in the early 2010s from tools that were doing infrastructure as code to, you know, like systems that were already running to this idea of immutable infrastructure where we create these golden images or we create these types of images, depending on the purpose of the system, we push them out and then we don't have that unpredictability. And in security, that's so important. Systems that exist for a long period of time tend to become more and more vulnerable for whatever reason, right? They drift in their configuration, people go on and they change things manually and with immutable infra and with building these strong patterns, you effectively can remove that. The thing I'm curious about from like a security and a monitoring perspective is when you're building these golden images, are there other security tools that you're including in with them or security relevant tools? Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, right, I'm a big believer in developing a pipeline or taking a developer first approach to a lot of the things that we do. And one of those is creating an image pipeline and inside that image pipeline, you include at the time of, you know, after we do the build, the testing, you include things like the CIS Cat Pro, which checks for the CIS benchmarks against the hardening operating systems, or maybe even a Nessa scanner to be able to scan those tools, you know, scan the systems to make sure that you don't have vulnerabilities or something like a server spec that gives you the validation of that from a security point of view. And then that's pre, pre-image, post-image. Then you have other things that you want to look into that the run state or the runtime of, hey, are these things still in compliant for a security point of view? And this is where it's super important for any organization to have what I call an asset inventory, 
but not just asset inventory, have software asset inventory to, so you can see metadata inside your operating system. So that way you continuously monitor and ensure that there is no drift and change of that hardening process. Yeah, that sounds totally right. I mean, I think <laughs> it is a continuous thing, right? It's not a one and done. It's a, hey, let's monitor this thing for the whole lifespan of that instance and make sure that it never becomes vulnerable. Right. The thing I'm curious about is the case when it is vulnerable. So how do you deal with systems that you find some issue, you find some violation, and you need to handle it? What are those scenarios typically like? I operate in the cloud world, but we like to think that we're a little bit more, I guess, further ahead in that space. And when we see a vulnerable system, from a security point of view, we we got to stop it somehow, right? And we got to do the forensics and understand what happened and understand, try to do the investigation, right? I feel like a, I'm an FBI agent and going in there and trying to figure out what happened. But in the cloud world, there's, there's also the concept of, hey, let's make it disappear and create a new one with a fixed vulnerability, right? So we, we call it immutable infrastructure. So if we're going to do forensics, obviously we're going to shut it off, try to catch it, cut it off the network, and then put it in some isolated area where we can do forensics. But in the cloud world, we can also quickly patch it, you know, especially now with containers and Kubernetes, quickly patch it and then bring up a new system with a patched system or a patched latest and greatest, and then they all move it forward. Yeah, that was going to be my next point that you actually just brought up, which is around tools like Kubernetes and serverless and these abstractions of not needing systems. So how do you think about securing a Kubernetes-based application versus a like an EC2-based application? Yeah, so Kubernetes, right? The concept of Kubernetes is, I think, super important or container or even serverless, right? Those are not, I'll call it, they have a run state, but they don't have actual compute or virtual layer to some degree, right? You know, containers is not a new thing, right? I remember running Solaris zones back in the day and Solaris zones were exactly what Kubernetes is now, just super popular, right? So EC2 workloads, definitely, I think it's a little bit harder to manage or contain the situation because it's still a system that you have to spin up and bring up to date versus a Kubernetes container usually is a slice of that system. A container doesn't have a full stack, right? It has some shared libraries within the stack that you could quickly make that application disappear or patch it correctly. And that it gives you just that flexibility and that speed to patch things and to patch it faster. From a security point of view, I think there's depth, there's gaps of visibility between how they communicate, how applications communicate, and how you secure them, you know, I'll call it between the applications running inside containers. Yeah, I think there's a shift that we see from the underlying systems themselves, like you're saying, like there's not necessarily a compute slash virtual layer that we have direct access to in these worlds, like from the application. It's the shift more sort of up the stack. So the way that I typically think about it is securing the platform, right? So in Amazon, the platform of Amazon is all the other services that really run that make up your cloud. So instead of worrying about you know, the underlying systems, it's more about worrying about the configuration of those orchestrative systems. So the, the configuration of Kubernetes that could lead to someone breaching your system instead of you know, necessarily worrying about the versions of the OS within the containers, which is also still relevant, but 
it's just you're sort of shifting up the stack more and more and more and more. Yeah. So with serverless, for example, it becomes really interesting and it becomes all about securing the actual application itself and making sure that they can't escape into the container. But even if they did, it has a finite lifespan. So they're not really going to be that successful. I agree. It is shifting up the stack, which you know then leads back to what I call the, the software supply chain. right? And that's it all starts, in my opinion, there with, with security. So shifting up stream and shifting left, way left. Mm-hmm. With doing this at scale, like I mean, if you have 100,000 systems, how do you approach the problem versus if you have like 1,000 systems? And the problem of good infrastructure security is what I'm referring to. In my opinion, uh, doing it at scale, again, it's all about visibility. How much visibility do you have so that I know what's protected and what's not protected? in terms of security. So one of the first things I'd like to, to do is to see where do we operate? You know, what clouds do we operate in? Do we operate in the data center? Again, I, I've been really focused on cloud. So I really like to see all of the assets. What do we need protected? And then what is protected and what's not protected? And then start from there. But if I only have you know a thousand servers, again, I still want that full visibility so I can provide my upper management that that visibility as well, right? And establish what I call a a foundation, just like building a house. You know, I need to know what I have and what I'm dealing with so I can start building on top of that house. How do you get that centralized view? Usually I do an asset inventory, a cloud near real time, ready. So, So using, again, products in the market or even open source products that can help you grab that data and then expand on that data and effectively using objects that you can connect to each other in the cloud. And it gives you that visibility of software assets and then inventory of the data or the inventory of the metadata running in the operating system. So what type of operating systems do I have? What type of agents are running inside? How many, let's say I'm running a a security agent, how many systems are covered in the cloud? Right in the cloud, the cloud is very elastic, so things can go up and down. So you, from a compliance point of view, think about what is it that you're trying to achieve? Do you want to put an agent on a system that lives for five seconds or five minutes? Or do you want to put an agent on something that lives longer? Or do you want to deploy by agents on a licensing perspective that is perpetual, like a bunch of these companies do, that no longer fits the cloud because cloud is so on, on demand? Yeah, it's so ephemeral. So when you think about interacting with like incident response teams, so let's say, for example, you find like a set of systems that become vulnerable for whatever reason, maybe an attacker got on and changed something, which threw it out of compliance. How do you interact with incident response teams typically? Yeah, so our incident response teams, they use a, I'll call it the normal source of today, or it's the normal, uh, the splunks, the sins of today. And they, they use that data to respond to those types of drifts and compliance, right? I'm of the belief that systems like Sims, like Splunk, are very antiquated and not cloud-first approach. In addition to an organic growth of data in which a lot of companies get stuck with using those systems and then can't move forward. So the way our incident response team interacts with those is, again, they use the Sim information to get multiple data sources from the cloud, and then they respond based on the SIM, right? And it's very manual to a degree because they need to know 
the system, they need to be able to track the asset, they need to be able to track the owner, and they need to be able to communicate that to management from an incident response, right? So what are you thinking about today? Like which tools, which techniques? I mean, what are you focused on right now as a cloud security engineer or as a head of cloud security, I should say? You know, establishing foundations, right? I think is what I, I usually come in and I look at, okay, what is my threshold? What is my measurement? What's my current measurement stick? Where do I want to go? And how do I get there, right? So I think industry knows that the NIST CSF foundations from a cloud perspective is industry standard. So using that as a benchmark to bring in an outside organization that comes in and looks at that. And then definitely, you know, focusing on our supply chain, right? You've heard of the industry right now has a lot of risk in our supply chain when it comes to compromised source code, compromised, you know, build servers, uh, you know, I think everybody knows of the solar winds, the Microsofts and the CodeCove compromises that's been from the software supply chain. So right now, I think we're focusing on on those the foundations, right? Where are we? How are we going to move forward? And then securing those foundations. But to answer your other question about technologies, yeah, again, I'm very risk adverse and taking a leap in new technology that can help us streamline better our efforts, right? So. For example, you know, like I mentioned earlier, a SIM is great, but I like to have more than just a SIM. Having things like looking at things like Azure, the Azure SIM or the Azure SIM SOAR that comes out or that, that currently exists that allows you to take more of a predictive analysis or machine learning or AI. I know those are buzzwords, but, you know, something that can help eliminate the human error and can help automate end-to-end security, like almost self-healing is what I'd love to see. In reality, how comfortable are you deploying that? I'm pretty comfortable, right? With the right set of roles and the right implementation, I'm super comfortable with it, right? It's about disciplining these, I'll call it these bots that we use nowadays to do a specific function with the right permissions and then be able to to move forward with that self-healing, right? I think we've all seen the, the IBMs of the world where they... They come up and they say, hey, what's my network look like today? And I want to be able to do the same thing with security. What's my security look like today? And, you know, the vision, I mean, may be super crazy, but I really love to see the self-healing capabilities of, of security. And I think we have the technology today to achieve it. Yeah, it's always a balance, right? Because the thing you don't want is it to self-heal and it be destructive. But then I think there's also paradigms we can build in as engineering teams to make sure that there isn't single points of failure and we've covered our bases. It's similar to Chaos Monkey. Have you heard of that tool by Netflix that they did famously, where it just randomly terminates things? And it's it's an exercise in resilience. And yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think using automation for the right ways and having automation that's well-tested can really get us there. And that's why actually I really appreciate tools like Chef because there is a testing framework and you have much more comfort in knowing that when I deploy this infrastructure code, you know, it's going to deploy this tool within, you know, these different scenarios. And like we were saying before, you're never quite sure what the start state or the begin state is of a system when you go into it. And like that idea of idempotence is so important for that. Like, you know, the multiple runs and you have, you have that assurance that you'll get the right result. So... Yeah, I mean, using automation is absolutely the only way we can do this at scale going forward. So I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, configuration management tools like Chef are 
super, super critical. Chef does a really good job, especially from a security point of view. Early in the days, they were doing signing between their you know server client capability. Yep. And, and I think that was one of the things that separated them from other configuration management vendors. They weren't there yet, right? In addition to the, you know, I refer to as dry runs on the configuration management from an item potent perspective. So totally agree. Again, you know, my cloud operations has definitely shaped my security way of approaching things. I guess, you know, if you talk to anybody that knows me, I'm very like, I want to go fast, but I've learned that I can only go as fast as I bring everybody on board. So so for the members of your team that, that join, how do they have the opportunity to apply like software engineering, software development into cloud security? It's a really difficult task to hire security engineers with a developer mindset or developer first mindset, but they have the opportunity to use their knowledge and their skill set to achieve the vision that we set forth, right? And doing things at scale. For example, we hired a red team to, and we did a couple of exercises like the ransomware attack, Bitcoin mining, and I forget the third use case, but we wanted to understand like how bad we had it from a supply chain perspective. But they're able to, you know, we give them enough freedom to be able to innovate and get us towards the vision of, of hopefully self-healing. That's awesome. So I want to leave us with a final question today. In your opinion, what do teams have to do to succeed at applying cloud security at scale in the future? Like what are three pieces of actionable advice that you would give them? Like I mentioned earlier, number one, establish your foundations. So understand what you're running across a multi-cloud, you know, that being Azure, AWS, GCP. Number two, after you've established the, that, you do a assessment, bring in a third-party assessor and have them do look at where you are and where you need help from a foundations perspective. And then number three, um, prioritize, ruthlessly prioritize where you're going to focus your attention to, what areas based on the first two outcomes, right? Now that you have visibility and now you have a third-party assessor, they give you a score and they tell you, hey, for you to get from you know level one to level two, you need to do these three things. So then that's when you decide where you prioritize. And then I'll call it number four is where do you want to be? What's the vision? That's awesome. Thank you so much, Gilbert, for your time today. It was a pleasure to meet, meet you and speak with you. And uh, hope uh, the people listening in learned a little bit about cloud security today. Great. Well, thanks for having me and appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website, runpanther.io, to sign up for a free trial. You'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.